Hey, dear listener, Anthony here. Before we hop into the show, I wanted to let you know about an incredible new resource we just released, The Five Rules of Investing. Dan and I are huge advocates of modeling the behaviors of the people who have done what you hope to do. And who better to model when it comes to investing than legendary investors like Warren Buffett, Howard Marks, and Ray Dalio? This free ebook breaks down the simple time-tested strategies of billionaire real estate investors that you can use to take your investing to the next level. So head over to InvictusMultifamily.com and grab your ebook today. All right, now let's hop into the show. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm psyched to have you here. However, the guy sitting next to me is less psyched. That is why. Are you doodling? I'm in the middle of something. He's here. doodling. What, what are we doing? Is this a podcast? I know this is like an audio only done. format, but at least like pretend like you're present. Nope. Okay. Well, it's good to have you here, listener. At least you're here present. Dan's going to be kind of phoning it in, but that's okay because I am up to the task. I'm going to carry the load. Are you ready yet? Yes. Okay. Let's do it. So today, guys, we're going to talk about the difference between a joint venture and a syndication. So. You might already know this, you might not know this, but I got a call yesterday from a guy who's, I would say he's pretty established in the, in the industry. He does short-term Airbnb rentals. He runs a couple masterminds and he wanted to get on a call because he was like, you know, I want to start raising capital from my guys and this mastermind and start putting their capital into these Airbnbs with me. And he's like, do I need to do a syndication? It seems like I could probably just do an operating agreement. And I was like, oh, it's a really good thing you called me because, yeah, no, you absolutely cannot do what you're proposing. So I think this is actually a really good topic. It is because I think when people are brand new, they're usually doing deals that are a little bit on the smaller side. Mm -hmm. And what you'll notice, if, the, if this is at all interesting to you, is there's a pretty big difference in the cost to legal work for a syndication versus just an operating agreement, right? Probably to get tax, right? Like, yeah, I mean, to get just an operating agreement, you might spend one to two thousand, depending on the attorney. Um, that's, I think, an appropriate price point for a simple operating agreement, uh, or even less. And the syndication, it's easily fifteen, twenty, maybe twenty-five. Yeah. So a lot of people look at that and they're like, "Man, that kills the uh, economics of the deal." Let me just whip this operating agreement together and run with that. Mm -hmm. so, but that might be not the right move. It might not be the right move. And full disclosure is a lot of people, even though that they know they technically need to syndicate the deal because of what we'll talk about here is called the Howey test. It has to pass this test, um, which is established like back in the forties, maybe something like that. Yes. Yeah, sometime between the twenties and the it was a long 40s, time ago, it had yeah. to do with citrus farmers. So that's pretty interesting, but it has to pass the Howey test, which we'll break down in detail. So you'll know, should I go and make this a JV or can, does it have to be a syndicate? But uh, a lot of people will, will skirt the rules on this one because the real, real estate is kind of the wild, wild west. And on these smaller deals, when you're like, I'm just going to go raise $100,000 for my friends and family, they're going to passively invest with me. And we're just going to go buy like a couple duplexes, right? Like at that level, the chances of the SEC taking notice, very, very low. Like you're probably not going to get caught. However, if things go wrong, then you're going to be in a lot of deep trouble. And when things are going well, never a problem. But as soon as, as, soon as like the, the investment starts to falter, you don't make the money that you thought you would, an investor gets upset, and then they go to get litigious, like now you're in some hot water. And that's really the big thing there. Because, uh, you know, like Anthony said, unless you're operating at an incredibly large scale, uh, the SEC or the IRS, um, no one's going to be walking around just auditing this kind of stuff. What's going to happen is an investor is going to get ticked off if something goes sideways in the deal and that's where you're going to run into trouble. So 
tons of people have done it the incorrect way and are perfectly fine, but there's that inherent risk that's just going to be out there if you do this the wrong way. So let's let's get into it. Yeah, so let's break down the, the Howie test. This yeah. is the, the litmus test to tell us, okay, is does this need to be a syndicate or can I go as a joint venture? So what, it, there's four parts to it. Yeah, it's really, the Howie test is really trying to find out if you are selling a security or not. Um, that's really the, the basis or the, the thing you're trying to find out. It's, are you partnering on a project with somebody where you guys are both doing things or are you effectively selling a security? So you do this test to determine if something is a security. And there's four questions to answer and really only one of them matters. Number one, is there an investment of money? Presumably, in, yes. Yeah, in any joint venture or syndication, there's going to be an investment in, of money. So that one, like I said, doesn't really matter because there always is. In a common enterprise, is there an investment of money in a common enterprise? This is question number two. Um, answer almost always for everything is going to be yes. So again, doesn't really matter. Question number three, is there an expectation of profit? Yeah. Probably. Always. Yeah. So again, doesn't really matter. But number four, here's the guy that matters. Is this profit going to be derived from the efforts of others? That's the ticket. Yep. Are you going to sit back and do absolutely nothing while somebody else does the work and delivers you profits? If the answer is yes, you then security. it is a security, and you cannot just do a simple operating agreement and call it a day. Okay, so let's break this down like in actual terms. If you have five buddies, and you are thinking you're going to go find the deal, you're going to asset manage it, and all you're going to do is have your buddies put like $25,000 in. Well, if they're not going to do anything else, if they're not signing on the loan, they're not putting earnest money, they're not taking any risk, they're not managing it, they're not part of the property management, well, and if that means they're, they're passive. If they're not taking an active role, then it has to be a syndicate. It has to be because they are passively investing in a common enterprise with the expectation of returns. However, those same four or five guys, if you could find ways to get them active, maybe you have Jim sign on the loan, maybe you have Carla, uh, put up some earnest money. Maybe Dwayne does some property management, don't, and maybe no, don't have Dwayne do that. That's, okay, Dwayne, that's a horrible idea. Dwayne, you're going to sit in on monthly asset management meetings, and <laughs> and and you're going to take notes. You're going to be our note taker. Okay, so if you can find ways to get them actively involved, then you could do it as a joint venture. Mm -hmm. Now there's a downside to this, which is they do actually need to have active roles, and then two. In this scenario, they're not limited partners. So they are exposed to the same amount of risk as the general partners would be on a syndicate. So if something goes wrong on the property, the bank is going to maybe hold their feet to the fire, which depending on who they are and how cool they are with that, that, that might be a problem. Yeah, I mean, that piece really kind of depends on the bank and how the debt structure. But that I would have to say is one of the easier ways to get somebody actively involved is to get them co-signing on the loan with you, right? That's a good way to have them actively participate. It's still relatively passive, mm -hmm. acting as a guarantor, takes some of the risk. Well, it doesn't really take the risk off of your plate, but it spreads a little bit over to them as well. Misery loves company. Yeah, and that's a really, uh, that's I'd say that's some of the lowest hanging fruit. Um, that earnest money, um, what else? Asset management, that's a lot one. of those, you can. they're not super active mm -hmm. ways of being active. Yeah. So. It's okay. doable. So now, now the question is, at what point are there too many people in this joint venture that you've, you've found active roles? And I'm kind of using air quotes there because like they're as passive as they can be. And you found like the minimum amount of work that they could possibly do to qualify as active. At what point are we clearly just stuffing people in this into a deal? They can't possibly all be active because there's really not that many jobs to do. 
what's your threshold before you start to look at it and be like, knowing nothing else about this deal, just based on the number of people in it, this seems like you have a syndicate. Well, as with most legal things, there's no like direct answer. Like there, this number is where the cutoff is. It doesn't exist. And I've talked to a couple of lawyers about this to kind mm -hmm. of ask them, like, what are your thoughts? Because my thought has always been when you get towards 10, and it starts to kind of get there above five, seven or eight is kind of where I'd say, let's cut it off. And if you're 10 or above uh, you're, you're double you're, digits, that's probably a tough sell. And that's been confirmed by two different attorneys at this point that that's a pretty decent ballpark to be, to be looking at. Yeah. So, but there's no exact answer. Yeah. My gut tells me as soon as you start getting over seven, I'm looking at each new person like with more and more skepticism. Yeah, like, come on, Dwayne. Like, what are you really Dwayne, doing? you're obviously not doing anything. <laughs> what are we even doing in this? Oh, he put in $50,000. Okay, well, he's a passive investor. Yeah. Well, we should have syndicated this. <laughs> yeah. So I know that's probably not the answer that a lot of um, newer people or just people who are doing a smaller project want to hear, mm -hmm. but um, it's the answer you need to hear. It is the answer you need to hear. Now, one thing you could think about uh, that I suggested to this guy that I was talking to, because he wants to raise capital on an ongoing basis, like you could you could look at doing a fund. Oh. You know, that's going to be a little bit more expensive than the syndication. But if you set it up correctly, that thing can last you for a couple of years, and then you can just keep raising capital through that vehicle, kind of amortize the expenses. That that might be a good option. Yeah, because unless you're doing some like really high end, like massive Airbnb properties, like you know, for us, it the 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 point where it, makes economic sense to syndicate a deal aside from the Howey test and all that other stuff we talked about. It's when you're raising about a million bucks or more that that, that bill from the syndication attorney doesn't really impact the economics that much. Yeah. So, you know, for the Airbnbs, I mean, unless he's doing properties that cost a, a few million bucks that requires him to raise at least a million. Not that big. Yeah. So definitely do a fund, especially if they're all going to be pretty much the same kind of thing and just spend all year, take it down 10, 15, 20 of them. Yeah. And for us, I think you just said this, but this is a really good threshold is typically if we're raising less than a million dollars, we're going to try and do that thing as a joint venture. And we're going to try and limit the number of investors coming into it to like three or four. And we find ways to get them active. Mm -hmm. Once we get over that million dollars of equity needed, then we start saying, okay, you know what? Like this is worth syndicating. The costs are amortized over enough space that we're not going to feel the economics aren't going to be negatively impacted. Yeah. So or that's you a good could just partner with an attorney give them a little cut and then don't have to get nickel and dime by all the syndication yeah, fees. You could do each JV or each um, Airbnb as a syndication. You're going to have to find so. a lawyer that's willing to do that. Yeah. And if it's your first deal, they're probably <laughs> not going to be willing to do that, but it's a stretch. It's something. It's, it's still a way to try to get, get creative here. People yeah. are trying to help you out. All right. So that's it. That's uh, the difference between a joint venture, a syndication. We've done this episode a bunch of times in the past, but it just keeps coming up all the time. And uh, it's it's an important one because it's important that you do these things the correct way. If you don't, you know, it can work out for a really long time until it doesn't. So, yep. and it doesn't work out really well at all. That's it. That's all we got, guys and gals. We'll see you in the next episode. We, we appreciate you. We love you. Um, Dan admires you. Happy I, New Year. I am, am impressed by you. Um, and Are your you? mom says very nice things about you as well. Wow. So good job. Keep being a good human and we'll see you in the next episode. <laughs>
Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of Multifamily Investing Made Simple. If you enjoyed the show, could you do us a massive favor? Head over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating and review. Your feedback, it means the world to us as it helps us grow and spread the word about multifamily investing. And don't forget, sharing is caring. So fire this episode over to any friends or family who you think could benefit from learning all about multifamily investing. Thanks, guys. We appreciate every single one of you, and we'll see you on the next show.